millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi. Hello. Welcome to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the late 90s and 2000s. I am one of your hosts, Margot Poupard. And I'm your other host, Emily Beijing. Have you ever used the acronym FAMAS3 to remember where you parked before? Did you ever stick your face through the headhole of your shirt and say bungholio before bursting into a fit of laughter while your parents looked on, very concerned? Congratulations, you are a product of the star that burned too bright, otherwise known as MTV Animation's two biggest hits, Beavis and Butthead and Daria. But before we get into this week's episode, two quick things. If you haven't heard, we have a Patreon. Surprise! You can find us at Old Millennials Pod on Patreon if you want to join the Old, Millenn- Old Millennials Cinematic Universe for the low, low price of $5. And two, as we reach the end of the year and the end of the season on the pod, I thought it'd be a really good time to check back in and just like get a vibe check, Emily. So like, what's your vibe? Oh my God. I mean, our girl Lindsay's engaged. My vibe is just... <laughs> the I vibrations are related. The vibrations are high. I really, that picture, that iconic photo has just resulted in all sorts of, I hate to use the word because we just used it before this recording, but synergies. Oh, no. I mean, Paris, Lindsay, and Brittany, just like all good things. Yeah, that's so wild. I bet if I knew more about astrology, I could give you some sort of planetary reasoning, but like it was their Saturn return or something of the sort. But unfortunately, I am not that kind of white girl. So, you know, we just get this (laughs) instead, which is me postulating about what it would kind of sound like. But apart from that, Your vibes are high. You're stoked for your triangle to be, you know, happy and settled. We also have a Netflix holiday movie with Lindsay to look forward to next year with, 
I suppose they tell us it's Court Overstreet, but I don't, I have a lot of questions. What You know what's amazing? So I, I recently watched one of the new Netflix holiday movies over Which the weekend one? with my sister. Um, the one with Jimmy O. Yang and, and oh, no. uh, that one not, felt gross. It was terrible. Um, really bad. Yeah, anything that's the premise is like, oh, you got catfish and oh, he's Asian. LOL. I'm like, oh my God. I like, I stopped the trailer because like, needed I know. more. This is uncomfortable. Bye. Can't I was, that greenlit. I was not going to watch it initially. I did for the, for the, for the sake of the pod so I can talk about it later. But, oh, sure. Blame uh, the pod. Say, why don't you? Well, what's interesting is Harry Shum Jr. is in this particular movie. So that's the guy who played Mike Chang on Glee. Like really, really sweet, nice guy. Plays like a douchey older brother in this movie. But it's funny that like these Glee cast members keep getting cast in all of the Netflix movies. I mean, what else are they going to do? But like it's it's funny that they seem to be you know ryan murphy may not be involved but like the hand is is playing the cards here a little bit like very interesting very interesting but yes court over street or ghost of or some <laughs> some you know paul is dead court over street is dead whatever this man is who claims to be court over street will be her romantic lead co-star yeah, that it, was feels like, it feels like one of those like deep fakes. You're like, wait, what am I looking at? <laughs> I don't know. Truly. Well, great. That sounds exciting for you, I guess. <laughs> so this week we're talking about Beavis and Butthead and Daria, which obviously begs the question, what is your connection to these shows? Oh, man. Okay. So I should preface, I was way more into Daria than Beavis and Butthead. But I mean, I feel like that kind of goes without saying, right? For very obvious re- reasons that I'm sure we'll both get into about the behind the scenes in the creation of the show. But yes, I feel like that was fully intentional. Also, timing wise, you know, Beavis and Butthead came first. Yes, would agree. And then with Beavis and so Daria, very, you know, into it. Obviously, the show, love the character, related in some ways, wanted to be that character, wanted to have a best friend like Jane. Um, Beavis and Butthead, very adjacent to everything in my life. So there's a boy in my class, fourth grade, third grade, who would just like raise his name is Joe McClafferty. He would pull Whoa, his uniform. Way to call out a random stranger on a podcast. <laughs> I don't know if he's still like, I don't know. I don't know why I remember his name so vividly. Like, I can't remember what I ate yesterday, but I can tell you the name of some kid in my class in fourth grade. He would pull his uniform sweater above his head, raise his arms, calling himself the Great Cornholia with the voice like the Great Cornholia. Like he would do the voice. This kid clearly had ADHD. Um, right. But this <laughs> that guy's now like a hedge fund manager or some shit. Probably. Probably. But that's my that's my that's my story. How Your about story? you? Oh. Um I, you know, I don't really have a lot of strong feelings or connections to Beavis and Butthead other than kind of like the punchlines that everybody else would do, you know. I think the true affinity is with Daria and just how much I related to the character and wanted to like 
be like her. And I, you know, I just love the show. It was so relatable. And it was mm-hmm. such a, because it was a little like nondescript, like it's just any suburb. I, it was very easy for me to graft on my own personal life onto Daria because, I mean, they use such universal themes. I might not have had, there might not have been like a soda machine controversy in my high school, but there were always some sort of like calorie counting controversy going on or like a debate over what is good or not good for kids while also simultaneously like only giving us dominoes, you know? So there were like some underlying themes that I feel like are pretty universal even to high school today. I don't really think it changes that that much just because we all have, I don't know, iPhones or whatever. But even in revisiting it now, because it's all streaming on Paramount Plus, I still feel like it's pretty timeless. Even like in the animation versus Beavis and Butthead, which I know we're drawn to be more crude. It's sort of, it's like the basis of like the early adult swim stuff was all based on Beavis and Butthead. And then now, now it's a completely different look. But I get what they were trying to do, but even in terms of animation, I feel like Daria just holds up so much better. But the voice and the character, all of the characters really, they're all people that you might know or know somebody that knows people like this, which is what I love the most. I think that the characters were very, you know, multidimensional for their times. Like Jody, Mm -hmm. for example, I'm sure you'll get into this, but like, at the time, you know, when there wasn't much representation on TV of people of color, among the main characters in Daria, you had Jane, um, a Asian American wo- woman, and then you had Jody, an African American woman, and they were painted as these, you know, multidimensional characters who talked about the struggles they had with their identities. And this is like mid to late 90s, so different than anything that was on, you know, in the TV landscape at the time. Um, you could barely get a sitcom on TV starring, you know, um, an all minority cast. So for an animated show to have gone to that point, I think is is pretty um, remarkable 25, 30 years later, almost 30 years later. My God. I mean, I, I would say that I, I don't actually get into Jody. I don't really get into too many of the characters because I thought the background and how the show came together was far more interesting and people already kind of know about Jody and Mac, her boyfriend. And I think that yeah. Jody, especially Jody and Mac were obviously the only black characters on purpose because of where the suburb that it took place in. Like they were trying to prove a point. They weren't necessarily yes. always overtly political on the show, but that, I mean, it should be no surprise that one of the co-creators and writers on the show now writes for like Colbert and does political commentary and stuff like that. So yeah, it, it was always, that was the underlying um, driving force in some of the plotting of the show that became kind of more deliberate over time. But what I did, I mean, in high school, some dickhead thought that he was like insulting me by calling me Daria. I assume because he found the cartoon to be ugly or whatever. But I was like, yeah, sure. That's like the nicest thing anybody's ever said to me. And so he eventually stopped calling me. So he was like, oh, you're a nickname. I'll call you Daria. I'm like, all right. <laughs> Sounds good to me, I guess. Like you wear combat <laughs> boots and you have bangs. I'm like, yeah, like, I don't know, like a bunch of other people that go to this fucking high school. But great. Yeah. <laughs> Your observation is spot on and this is why you shouldn't mix grades and footballers in the same math class because it becomes untenable (laughs) the show really had like a a lasting impact on me I still quote the show all the time and it's like a huge reference point as like 
I don't know, not I wouldn't say like personal character development, but just sort of like, oh, wow, like it's OK to sort of be. Well, I in the beginning of my notes, I said that Daria is clueless for women with depression and anxiety who use humor to hide it. And I feel like that's my takeaway yes. from the show is like <laughs> <laughs> and that will always be my takeaway from the show. I think that we're going to start with Beavis and Butthead because it leads in pretty smoothly into Daria and, you know, and then the end of Daria kind of uh, explains the end of MTV animation, which apparently is coming back, but more on that later. Like I said earlier, I was definitely more into Daria than Beavis and Butthead, which is spelled with a hyphen, like, but wasn't that insane? (laughs) I, you know, had imagined, you know, you Bernstein bear something or you Shazam, like you, you imagine it to be one thing only for uh, Wikipedia to tell you otherwise. (laughs) That was we this morning. (laughs) Truly wild. Um, As a kid, most of my knowledge, as I said, regarding Beavis and Butthead was this kid in my class who uh, quoted it frequently. That being said, Beavis and Butthead was everywhere at one point in the mid-90s, enough for it to get referenced in several other TV shows and movies, including an iconic scene in Clueless, because they are, as Cher Horowitz states, way existential, and had even got their own feature-length film. So Beavis and Butthead ran for seven seasons from March 8th, 1993 to November 28th, 1997 in its original run. And was created by Mike Judge. Mike Judge, as you probably have all heard of um, before, is the co-creator of King of the Hill, creator of Silicon Valley, and then also wrote and directed Office Space and Idiocracy, the latter of which was almost too prophetic of the Trump administration. Beavis and Butthead is what will put Judge on the map and will allow him to get the blank check to create the aforementioned shows and movies. But let's take it back to a pre-Beavis and Butthead time. Born October 17th, 1962 in Ecuador, Mike Judge was raised in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which will come up in Beavis and Butthead in terms of the fictional town. While in high school, he got to start drawing caricatures of his teachers, um, but never really like pursued animation seriously at that point. He would go on to graduate with a Bachelor of Science from UCSD in 1985 and then went on to be an aerospace engineer in Dallas for a few years, but was incredibly unsatisfied with the work and eventually moved to the Bay Area to work at a startup called Parallax Graphics in Santa Clara in 1987. His time working at that startup would later inspire the creation of the show Silicon Valley because he hated how much the people kind of just drank the Kool-Aid um, at the startup and quit. he ended up quitting after a few months. During the next couple of years, he would play bass in a few bands while simultaneously deciding to pursue his dream of be doing something with comedy and animation. He knew he couldn't be a stand-up comic, but he liked drawing. And after attending a festival for animation in 1985, he talked to someone about it and was just like, yeah, it doesn't cost that much to get into it. So he bought a Bolex camera for $200 and just started playing around with it and started drawing. The first thing he ends up finishing was a short about an office worker named Milton. That short was titled Office Space, which obviously inspired the movie a decade later. He sold that short to the now defunct comedy channel for $2,000. And then Mike Judge would double down on the career as an animator and created a short called Frog Baseball in 1992, featuring characters named Beavis and Butthead. 
Um, those two, they would in fact play baseball with frogs um, in this short, but it was featured in MTV's show Liquid Television, which was this kind of animation showcase TV show that they had in the early 90s. The execs at MTV liked it so much that they gave Judge a 65 episode order, which to me is bonkers. Like, let's talk about this, shall we? Like, he's already done like one short. This is just his second short. And MTV's like, yeah, we're going to give you 65 episodes. I I think like what's interesting to me is MTV similar to Nickelodeon, which we talked about um, in uh, in our Nickelodeon animation episode. Uh, we're both, you know, owned by Viacom Networks, but we're both very experimental in terms of allowing creators to have a bit of carte blanche um, and bring in kind of unknowns to try this new format out. So it's very interesting that they gave them so much um, after, you know, relatively little experience. The That's not really names, surprising. Like this shit still yeah. happens now, right? You're like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, do you just find white guys to give large sums of money to? I'm, like, what am I missing here? <laughs> Looking at you, Coyote Ugly director. <laughs> <laughs> or just, I mean, I just, I'm thinking honestly of what they were doing over at Star Wars or even just yeah. in Marvel where they give these one-time directors of like five-minute shorts, like millions, hundreds of millions of dollars, and they're like, why is it going wrong? And you're like, are you guys insane? But okay. Yeah, let's let's not talk about that. <laughs> the characters' names, Beavis and Butthead, were actually inspired by real-life figures in Mike Judge's life. While in college at UCSD, there was a 12-year-old latchkey kid who lived a few doors down and who went by the name Iron Butt. And his friend, they would call the he and Mike Judge and his friends would call the kid Butthead behind his back. And then Beavis came from a kid who lived in the same neighborhood who was named Bobby Beavis. He like didn't have anything in common with Beavis. He just like Mike Judge liked the name, so he went with Beavis. The voices were both voiced by Judge, were inspired by different people. Um, particularly Butthead was inspired by a kid in Judge's high school class who would make a like ho ho sound. And then also the voice itself was just based on like what Mike Judge sounded like as a kid when he had braces. So like that, like I'm doing a really terrible impression, but whatever. That's not why I'm here. Nope. (laughs) Add it to your character impression reel immediately. (laughs) I will. (laughs) I'm available for children's birthdays. She's tech avail, everyone. (laughs) There's not really much to these characters' personalities. I mean, I'm really just not going to dive into it. They're the they're two high school kids who live in a town called Highland that's supposed to be in either Texas or New Mexico due to Judge's upbringing in Albuquerque and later creation, began creating the idea for the show while he was living in Dallas. Um, and they attend Highland High. They're latchkey teenage children, so they're always doing stupid things, looking at porn, injuring themselves, burning shit, watching TV, eating junk food, or doing some sort of combination of these things, or like just getting in trouble, skipping school. Like, there is no ambition here. Um, And people used to criticize this. You know, they were, the National Review was like outraged. All these conservative outlets were outraged. And Judge was just like, I mean, this wouldn't be a funny show if these kids were straight A students. Like, this is why they are the way they are. They are clearly inexperienced when it comes to doing anything with someone of the opposite sex and will laugh at anything that's remotely sexual sounding. Each episode has a plot around something happening in their town or high school. And then it's kind of spliced in with segments of the two of them 
watching a music video and riffing on it like Mystery Science Theater 3000 style. Most of these lines, by the way, were actually just Mike Judge improvising while he was doing the recordings. The show would premiere on March 8th, 1993 and quickly became so popular in its first few weeks that MTV already planned merchandising. They had to abruptly pull the show off the air until May of that year, however, because Judge and the team were behind on episode creation and they just ended up airing the same three episodes over and over again. Once it went back on the air, it continued to be a hit and many of the arti- or many of the artists that had music videos featured on the show experienced boosts in sales after being featured, including White Zombie and Babes in Toyland. And then on the flip side, some artists were not happy with being featured, such as Aerosmith, whose management tried to get their music video segment off the show uh, on MTV because Beavis and Butthead declared them pretty cool but old. There were some musicians who were in on the Beavis and Butthead jokes, though, including one of our queens on this podcast, Cher. She would go on to record a version of her hit, I've Got You, Babe, with Beavis and Butthead for the album, The Beavis and Butthead Experience, which was made the same year the show aired. So, like, MTV was just like, how do we capitalize on this? They, like, that same year on Geffen Records released this album. She, Cher even improvised an interlude in the song where she talked about being married to Sonny Bono, which Beavis and Butthead mistake for Bono from U2. They then call Sonny a wuss and Cher agrees. She's like, well, yeah, you're right. And then Sonny Bono was not a fan of this. And in response in a publication said, quote, I'm sad to see Cher reduce herself to that kind of humor. Like, fuck you, Sonny Bono. I know you're dead. Get a sense of humor. I actually really thought you were going to be like, and then Sonny Sonny Bono skied into a tree. Like I, (laughs) I did not think the next thing was be like he released a kind of sexist, misogynistic (laughs) remark to the public that no one asked for. Messy, messy, messy. Mm -hmm. But Aerosmith and Sonny Bono would be the least of Beavis and Butthead's problems in the nineties. As with every good controversial show targeted at teens. This one was met with lots of controversy and backlash from parents' groups because whenever a kid or teen does something bad, we should definitely point the finger at a TV show rather than examine the environment these kids grew up in. (laughs) In October 1993, this is not silly. This is actually very sad. Austin Mesner, a five-year-old boy in Ohio, set fire to his bed, which eventually set fire to his family's mobile home. While he and his mother were able to escape, his sister was killed in the blaze, and the mother would later claim that he had seen an episode of Beavis and Butthead where they burned some things on the episode and said fire was fun. She claims that as a result, her son started playing with matches, and though she had removed the door off of his bedroom, he still somehow got a hold of a cigarette lighter and set the bed on fire. There was a similar case in another town in Ohio where some kids started a fire because they saw an episode where Beavis and Butthead set fire to each other's hair using an aerosol can and a lighter. The fire chief of that town blamed the show for this incident, and as a response, MTV removed all references to fire and the show began airing at a later time slot. There was a loophole, however, where they would get Beavis to say things that sounded like the word fire, like fryer, fryer, fire, when he worked at Burger World. 
Despite this, however, the changes were made to not just subsequent airings of fire-heavy episodes, but to the actual masters themselves. And Mike Judge has talked about how he is unsure if there are to this day original masters of early episodes in existence because of this. Eventually, there were incidents of kids doing stupid, other stupid things that resulted in MTV airing the show even later at 11 p.m. and having a disclaimer before the show saying, quote, Beavis and Butthead are not real. They are stupid cartoon people completely made up by this Texas guy who we hardly even know. Beavis and Butthead are dumb, crude, thoughtless, ugly, sexist, self-destructive fools. But for some reason, the little wiener heads make us laugh. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Amidst all this, Judge was just fighting for control with the MTV network. There were a lot of things done without his approval, including a lot of these response, quick responses to the backlash um, and several uh, things from a merchandising standpoint that disappointed him, including best of compilations of episodes that he had no say in um, decisions around which episodes would make the final cut. He's expressed this with a lot of his projects. He's just someone who doesn't like uh, the traditional way that TV shows and films are made and having to deal with a production crew. But ultimately, Beavis and Butthead would go on to air until 1997. By then, Judge had already co-created King of the Hill with Greg Daniels, then known as a Simpsons writer, now known as the creator of the American version of The Office, co-creator of Parks and Recreation and Space Force. Judge was tired at this point and had even wanted to end the show earlier, but the show would culminate ultimately with the final episode, Beavis and Butthead Are Dead, on November 28th, 1997. The show would later get an eighth season revival at MTV in 2011, but was canceled after that one season. It's now getting a second revival on Comedy Central and a second film on Paramount+. Plus. And Margot, I got to say, I don't know if I can keep paying for Paramount Plus. Uh, we might have to have some serious discussions about what I pay for. <laughs> I feel like I feel like a mother having a serious heart to heart with you. Right You're now. the one who had the free trial. I don't I care about having Paramount I Plus. Know. I really I think I have more than enough apps. So I don't really care about Paramount Plus, to be it- honest. <laughs> 
One you do what about- you want. As a moocher, I don't have any say or feelings. Other than Peacock, you got to let me finish Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip. Other than that, I mean, do you what you will. I mean, so excited about that show, and I haven't even watched all those franchises, but I'm, you don't need I'm to. That's about the beauty of the show. It looks like some summertime fun that it's I It's insane. Right now. And especially right now, it's like we're getting depressed. <laughs> like the sun is going down at 3 p.m. Like you need a little dose of serotonin. You need your vitamin D via a TV. Like I highly recommend it. You don't need to know any who any of these women are. They're completely different on their franchise anyway, except for Mona, who is somehow even more awful than she normal is, normally Jesus. is. And I've actually seen New York, so I that's that's horrible. Oh, you will not she was on a she's on a whole nother fucking level, dude. You you have to see it. It's in, I'm like, what is wrong with you? Anyway. Uh. Two final things before I wrap it up with Beavis and Butthead. Uh, I mentioned earlier there was a movie, Beavis and Butthead Do America, which was released in 1996, which made $60 million on a $12 million budget, which not bad. Whoa. I know. I didn't realize it was that financially successful. I didn't think it was successful, but it was. And I remember it also had a pretty successful soundtrack which I know you sure. don't like Red Hot Chili Peppers, but there's a very good cover of Love Roller Coaster on that soundtrack. Um, oh, yeah, no, I do like that cover because it's not their own song and it doesn't get played <laughs> to death on K-Rock. That's true. That's true. Um, and the final thing will just be that there were some minor characters on Beavis Butthead. Beavis, no, there were some minor characters on Beavis and Butthead. One of them, named Daria, was one of the few people that actually tolerated Beavis and Butthead. They usually called her diarrhea behind her back, but she was one of the few female characters that they never hit on during the show and would often tutor them or explain things to them because they're idiots. Uh, But ultimately, she was just kind of a minor character that showed up in a handful of episodes. But eventually, she would get her own spinoff. What an elegant segue. A couple of years ago, I guess... Four or five now, uh, Daria had a 20th anniversary celebration, and one of the co-creators went to Entertainment Weekly and shared what she thinks the characters are doing 20 years later. And I will read those at the very end. But all of this is to say, I can't believe the show will be turning 25 next year. It really feels like yesterday and maybe like not that long ago either, but it's that same feeling when you're like the nineties were like 10 years ago. Right. I feel like Daria is added into that category, but Daria was created. Yeah. By Glenn Eichler and Susie Lewis Lynn. Susie Lewis Lynn is the one that uh, did the feature for EW. It ran on MTV for five seasons and two TV movies from March 3rd, 1997 to January 21st, 2002. It's a spinoff of Mike Judge's earlier animated series, Beavis and Butthead, hyphen, butt, hyphen, head, where Daria appeared as a reoccurring character, but Judge was too busy at the time with King of the Hill, so he wasn't involved. More on that later. But before that, let's get into the history. So she was initially added to Beavis and Butthead because the head of MTV at the time said they wanted to appeal to women because, you know, they're there as well. And so around 1995, MTV gave the creatives a directive. They wanted to create an animated series geared towards young female viewers. MTV had seen this had seen success in developing a strong audience of mid-teen boys through Beavis and Butthead. But now the network wanted to do the same with the girls in the audience. Those working in animation at the time were given this assignment, develop a girl-centric hit. 
So they, MTV Animation, produced five series pilots with a girl lead character, including the following, which I thought were very fun. Laura Levine's Missy the Two-Headed Girl. She was two attitudes rolled into one being and the host of her own variety show. The concept creator Laura Levine was famous both as a Rolling Stone photographer who had shot many of rock profiles and also an illustrator and painter. The next was Heather McAdams' Cartoon Girl, a kooky observations about the world as seen through the eyes of a wonderful cartoonist with a much too grown up perspective for MTV. Then we had Stephen Holman's pilot, Sneeze Louise, about a girl named Louise who was allergic to bullshit and sneezed a gigantic <laughs> earth-shattering sneeze whenever she smelled it. Then Dracworld, created by Andy Rubin, was about a bunch of female vampires. And as some were, as some said in some of the pieces that I read was, quote, ahead of its time, which I guess they're true because Twilight was a huge hit. Anyway. They finally turned to Daria, who already had a built-in following thanks to Beavis and Butthead. But because they already produced four other pilots, they didn't have a lot of money left. So they pulled from the resources they already had, which meant a lot of people who worked on Beavis and Butthead moved over to Daria, including the recognizable voice of Tracy Grandstaff. Tracy Grandstaff at the time was a writer on MTV's on-air promo department and the voice of MTV's daily calendar of upcoming shows. And she already voiced the titular Daria on Beavis and Butthead. Although she wasn't a trained voice actor, Eichler talked about how she found the quote-unquote voice of Daria in a piece, I believe it was with the Huffington Post. Eichler, quote, The only impediment to getting the job for her was that her personality was the exact opposite of Daria's. Tracy was very upbeat and fun, and when she'd come in to record, I'd say, be really depressed. She could not be more unlike that character, which is good for her. Tracy Grandstaff says that she would, quote, always hear somebody say, speak that line slower. You need to slow down. The big joke was that they would tell me to go out and drink a lot of Jack Daniels the night before. But I love Darlene Connor on Roseanne. I felt like she was really the 3D version of Daria. I used to joke that I was a poor man's version of Jeannie Garofalo. When it came to setting, the writer's room immediately shot down the notion of Daria taking place in Highland. The thinking was, give Daria a new circle of friends, parents, and teachers. Without Mike Judge's involvement, it was clear that they needed to invent their own world for Daria to inhabit, separate from Beavis and Butthead. I think much like no one really remembers that The Simpsons started on the Tracy Ullman show, no one really associates Daria with Beavis totally. and Butthead all that much. Totally. They gave Daria a sister, Quinn, who was the polar opposite of her, the popular girl with boyfriends in the fashion club. Her best friend, Jane, who is the artistic, less sarcastic, and less judgmental friend. Helen, Daria's workaholic attorney mother, and Jake, her neurotic, short-tempered, long-suffering, but well-meaning, loving father. Trent was based on Dave Navarro and named after Trent Reznor, and he's Jane's older hot brother who's in the band Mystic Spiral. Okay, we got to talk about cartoons that we thought were hot. Trent. Sure. Of course, it goes Trent and then the fox from Robin Hood and then <laughs> and then uh, Arnold, from hey, Arnold from Hey Arnold. And then, and then Aladdin. Oh, yeah, Aladdin. Yeah, no, that's yeah. a good one. He's the only hot prince. That's true. All the other hot princes look like fucking – or all the other princes look like Ken dolls and it's just And they have the personalities cute. of Q-tips. Like, right. No. They're just like – they're like a bachelor. They're just like a yeah. white slice of bread and you're like – Amazing. But maybe I want seeded toast instead today (laughs) and not sliced white bread. Some hot, hot fiber. God, I'm sorry. They they also created a memorable staff at Lawndale High, like Mr. DiMartino, the teacher who always yells and has a twitching eye, who was based on Christopher Walken in Pulp Fiction. Beavis and Butthead writers Sam Johnson and Chris Marcel, who went from Beavis and Butthead to and Daria to Frasier, News Radio, and later How I Met Your Mother and Hot in Cleveland, wrote the pilot, and Beavis' supervising director, Yvette Kaplan, directed. 
Because Real World used the music from MTV music videos throughout its episodes, Daria wanted to leverage that built-in connection too. MTV generally construed that it could use any music accepted for its air as scoring for their own shows because of the clip or because of its quote unquote clip rights, which would later get them into trouble when it came to syndication or tape or DVD. But who could have predicted streaming or DVDs or all of this other stuff going on in the future? The five-minute pilot, sealed with a kick, tested well enough to go through the series order, and in March of 97, nine months before Beavis and Butthead ended its original run, Esteemers premiered, which established Daria and her family's move from Highland to Lawndale. So the theme song, which I found to be the most fascinating part of the backstory research, because what would Daria be without the na-na-na-na-na to usher you in? So when Daria went to production, co-creator Susie Lewis Lynn found a copy of Splendora's one and only album, 1995's In the Grass, on her desk. Splendora was a Brooklyn-based quintet, and they had signed a deal with Geffen Records but never had a hit single. But they did write a hit theme song. Lewis Lynn got a hold of the band and asked them to record some demos for tunes that could make for a good theme song for an animated series about a smart and sarcastic teenage girl. Of the four tracks Splendora submitted, producers liked most You're Standing on My Neck. The band broke up shortly thereafter, <laughs> which is why you never know. You are you uh, up until this point. I never knew who the fuck that band was because they broke up and they didn't really exist. <laughs> As for the rest of the seasons... Daria was set during Daria's high school years and ends with her graduation and acceptance into college. The principal location used for the show outside of her, the Morgendorfer home, where Daria and Quinn live, is Lawndale High School, obviously a public school filled with colorful and dysfunctional characters. The dynamics between Daria and Jane changed during season four when Jane began a relationship with Tom Sloan. Though Daria was hesitant to accept Tom at first, fearing she would lose her best friend, she and Tom find themselves becoming closer, culminating culminating in a kiss in the season's finale and the relationship between Tom and Daria fueled several several of the season five plot lines there were two tv movies is it fall yet which centered around the turmoil of the love triangle and is it college yet which served as the series finale on January 21st 2002 MTV planned an abbreviated six episode six season but at Eichler's request this project was cut down to just a second movie and not too long after that after the series ended, MTV animation imploded. For a cart, I think uh, there's a few Futurama episodes that have managed to make me cry, but Daria is probably the first cartoon that managed to make me sob between the TV movies, both of them, the what happened yeah. to her relationship with Jane devastated me because yep. it, I think <clears throat> to me, illuminated that this could happen, you know, even your best yeah. friend. And of course, like I said, having such a personal stake and like projecting so much onto this cartoon, it was just like a personal devastation to watch I, it happen and even getting mad at Daria. And I think the show does a really good job of even though she's like the smartest, focused person in the room, they really put her through her paces and don't they test her at every turn. And this yes. was such a huge test. And it was just absolutely heartbreaking. I, I think there's something to be said about the fact that this, you know, at the time, again, ahead of its time, really doing a great job portraying complicated female friendships and like mm -hmm. how those dynamics change over time. They can't always be the same thing. And this can happen as young as like when you're a teenager in high school. Like I, I think there's something really valid there that wasn't necessarily being portrayed on a lot of other TV shows at the time. So it's amazing that, in, again, an animated show when the landscape of like using, you know, live action shows out there weren't showing these types of things were being shown in an animated show. 
Yeah, one really interesting kind of reoccurring quote I saw through some of the interviews that I was going through was that uh, not just the co-creator said this, but other people like animators who worked on the show and obviously some of the writers and voice actors said that it was like the most real life feeling show, especially for a cartoon. Like you felt like these characters were real people and that Mm -hmm. they managed to do that because the show was very centered around the writing. Like there is an interview with the story supervisor who said that they kind of wanted to keep it like clean, minimal lines because obviously the draw here was not necessarily the animation, but the writing and the story. And I guess Eichler has heard people say multiple times that if the show wasn't so funny, it would be incredibly depressing because it's so poignant. And I think that Daria and Pen15 kind of share a very similar sensibility in terms of tone where like, wow, if I wasn't laughing, I'd be crying. And isn't that just like the theme of adolescence from middle school through high school? It's funny you bring this all up because it's it's a comparison I would have never thought of. Not not Pen15 and Daria, but I'm thinking also like shows like BoJack Horseman, for example, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. who have done a better right. job portraying mental illness and the complications of adulthood and the feelings that you experience um, more so than a lot of shows, again, live action shows have done. Totally agree. And especially for BoJack, it being ostensibly cartoon animals, you really feel for and relate to all of the characters. Yes. Okay. Just a few more little quick tidbits the credits i I can't not shout out the credits which the characters Mm -hmm. get like a pretty woman-esque montage of increasingly out of character for them outfits i believe that daria's end credits walked so that bob's burgers end credits could run Mm -hmm. in a section i have titled so mike judge is kind of a dick question mark allegedly a little bit apparently when yvette kaplan showed the pilot i believe just the script to mike judge he was not impressed. And as he said in a Vice Magazine interview, he was actually angry about it. He said he thought that a couple of MTV execs wanted to prove that they could do something without him. He claims, however, that he's never watched it to this day other than, quote, a few minutes here or there. Now on to the spinoffs. Some happened or, well, some are definitely maybe happening, I think, and one definitely didn't. So the one that didn't, was a Daria spinoff focused on Trent and his band's low-effort adventures. Daria co-creator and producer Glenn Eicher, or sorry, Glenn Eichler, wrote the pilot script, which depicted the band moving in together, kind of like the monkeys did on the monkeys. The show would have explored them finally trying to make it big under the tutelage of an aggressive new manager. The script was included as a special feature on a Daria box set because that's about as far as it went. The project died when MTV shut down its animation division. Now onto the one that is possibly maybe totally happening. In June of 2019, MTV announced a new Daria animated spinoff series, Jody, originally Daria and Jody, with actress Tracy Ellis Ross voicing the titular Jody and serving as an executive producer. The network said that this was, this was going to be the first attempt in multiple series projected as a Daria animated spinoff, which I thought was a choice. But we'll see, because I feel like the script has changed a couple of times, but hopefully it makes it to air. I'd be very interested, because as I said, there was an Entertainment Weekly, Where Are They, Where are they Now? And I'm just going to read off a few. Co-creator Susie Lewis admits that these are all just her ideas, and she brought in one of the old animators, Karen Disher, to imagine what these updates would look like. So Jake and Helen Morgendorfer 
are living up, living it up as retirees. Every time Daria speaks to them, they're venturing out on yet another cruise. But whenever they're back in Lawndale, they're breaking a sweat in their weekly dance class. Trent, while mystic spiral days are over, Trent has found, well, not success, but a functioning band in Trent Lane in the Mystic Explosion. He lives with four bandmates in Queens. Trent has some financial success with Mystic Spiral's one-hit wonder, freaking friends, but since then has been making ends meet as a bartender. He and Jane spend a lot of time together, and Daria often joins them. See, it's not weird anymore. Daria Morgendorfer, the sardonic teen, left the suburbs of Lawndale for New York City's Hell's Kitchen, naturally, where she's grown up to become one of the only female writers on a late-night talk show. She lives alone, except for her black cat, Godzilla, who is toilet-trained, thanks to Daria's hard work and dedication— and while she's tried the online dating game, she hasn't found any special, hasn't found anyone special quite yet. Oh, and in case you're wondering, she's over her crush on Trent. And Jane, Daria's closest friend and confidant, never gave up her ambitions. She's a professional artist who sold a few pieces, though she still hasn't, quote, made it big. She lives in a loft in Soho with her husband, who's an archaeologist and never home. So luckily, the besties get to spend tons of time together. They enjoy going to art shows and film events where you're not where you're supposed to socialize. But surprise, they only talk to each other. And lastly, Quinn, the youngest sister of Daria, has consciously uncoupled from her college sweetheart and dropped her last name. Rumor has it that once Quinn realized that his athletic abilities weren't going to cut it professionally, she was done. Quinn has triplet sons, Timmy, Tommy, and Teddy, and she still lives in Lawndale. In between caring for her boys and her hair extensions, she's hard at work on her popular YouTube channel dedicated to desserts and skincare called S'mores and Pores, which I feel like is definitely the most realistic for Quinn. Would agree. 100%. And, and that's all I have on Daria. I mean, I could go on and on about favorite episodes and favorite quotes and funny comments, but you know, that's not interesting. I hope that all no. of the backstory about how it came together was interesting. I got to say, uh, it was riveted, especially about the theme song. Oh, I was just, I was just saying that the theme song, I was really riveted by that little piece of information. That's wild to me. I mean, it's just, it's like such a perfect little story. Like this one song makes it big out of this band that's like breaks up. I love it. One of the things that I did a little research on Daria as well. And one of the quotes that came up was like that Daria, that Lawndale could very well be a DC suburb. And immediately I projected my own family onto the Morgendorfers because my mom's a lawyer. My dad yells a lot, but is well-meaning. And then the dynamic between my sister and me in high school was a little similar to Daria and Quinn. I'm not as cool as Daria, but, you know, for for one shining moment there, I thought maybe, just maybe. (laughs) Well, one thing I didn't bring up is Six Sad World, which is like the reoccurring TV show that they have, which I think was almost like a spoof or a predictor of MTV. (laughs) Yes. And what it's like now, because if you thought they didn't play music videos back in 1997, they fully don't even bother to entertain the idea of a music video now. Definitely a top show within a show. Like, I feel like there's like a pansy on there, like itchy and scratchy. Queen of Jordan. Queen of Jordan, like Six Sad World. Like, there's just like, there's a, there is a Vulture article here that has not been written. And I'm just going to say it, Vulture, if you're listening, we're both ready when you're ready. We are tech avail. We're always avail. Never need to question. 
And so with that, we say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, give us a five, either five do- either five dollars when you join our Patreon or a five star review because that just generally helps us out and is also free. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Old Millennials Pod. And you can follow us individually on Twitter. I am at Marg She Wrote. And I'm at Emily A. Bajan. And until next time, we say bye-bye. Bye.